0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe
0: Serralo. Here we go, episode 27 of the show, getting back into the weekly swing of things. Jake Asman, host of the Jake Asman Show, the national radio show on SportsMap Radio. He's all set to join us, going to talk about the teams he covers down in Houston, all the Texans drama. Also, Jake, being a Long Islander like myself, went to high school with him. Going to talk about his Jets, his Knicks, some Yankees and Mets spring training baseball. Can't wait to get to that. We're going to get to my St. Bonaventure Bonnies in the final word. The Atlantic 10 tournament is underway. But first, in the spirit of having Jake Asman on the show down in Houston, covers the Texans, the Rockets, the Astros, I'm starting with the Houston Texans. J.J. Watt, the face of that franchise, arguably the most important player in Houston Texan history is leaving the franchise just a couple days ago, inked a two-year deal that could be worth as much as 31 mil, worth as little as 23 mil with the Arizona Cardinals. By the way, does that remind you of anyone? Leaving the Houston Texans, going to the Arizona Cardinals, J.J. Watt now teaming up with DeAndre Hopkins, who was, of course, famously traded almost exactly a year ago by Bill O'Brien, one of the worst trades, not just in Texans franchise history, but in NFL history. DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and a couple of mediocre draft picks. I mean, I don't know what Bill O'Brien was thinking. But then again, I don't know what Texans ownership was ever thinking, giving Bill O'Brien the power to be GM in addition to head coach. One of the worst trades ever. Got talked about at length. Has been talked about for a year. Will continue to be talked about. And now J.J. Watt teaming up with DeAndre Hopkins in the desert. I mean, oh, by the way, the Deshaun Watson saga is still going on. There's still a ton of drama unfolding with the quarterback of the Houston Texans who refuses to ever play for that franchise again, but he's not the only one unhappy. He's not the only one leaving. And before we get to him, and I'm going to talk plenty with Jake about Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt to Arizona. I mean, what does this do for the Arizona Cardinals? What does this do for the NFC West, which... I don't even think it's much of a debate. It's going to be the most stacked division in the NFL next season. I can't wait. I've talked about it at length at Radio Row. I talked about it last week with Lofa Tatupu. Matt Stafford to the Rams makes, in my opinion, the Los Angeles Rams instant Super Bowl contenders coming out of the NFC. You look at the top of that conference, you've got, once again, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A lot of uncertainty surrounding New Orleans. I don't know if Drew Brees is back, what level of play he'll be able to perform at, I can't put the Saints in the top two, three, maybe even four teams in that conference. You've got the Buccaneers, the Green Bay Packers, as long as Aaron Rodgers is suiting up for them. And after that, I think the Rams are the best team in that division and a top three team in that conference. You know, Seattle, just like Houston, has some quarterback drama. Will Russ Wilson be a Seahawk? We could get into that. I mean, I don't know if Russ Wilson is going to be a Seattle Seahawk in a month, in two months, by opening day. He's already given them a shortlist. It's it's remarkable. Russ Wilson has said he doesn't want to leave Seattle. He wants to stay in Seattle. But if he was to leave Seattle, he gave them a shortlist of the Chicago Bears, the Las Vegas Raiders, the New Orleans Saints. I believe there was a fourth team on there. Might be mistaken, but I thought it was the Miami Dolphins. So, I mean, Russ Wilson... It's the all-time gangster move. I absolutely love it. It's like telling your girlfriend or your wife, sweetie, I would never, ever think about leaving you. But if I did, I like this girl. I like that girl. She's a smoke show. And maybe throw her in for good measure. But I would never think about leaving you. I mean, give me a break. Russ Wilson has clearly given a lot of thought to leaving Seattle and to where he'd want to go. Now, look, I don't really understand wanting to go to Chicago, I don't know if he has ties with the Bears organization. The defense is great. Yes, some people could say that they're a quarterback away, but I wouldn't want to be in the same division as Aaron Rodgers. I wouldn't want to be his little brother, the team that gets beat up on by the Green Bay Packers year in, year out. I mean, is Russ Wilson going to outlast Aaron Rodgers? Yes, he's he's a fair amount younger than Rodgers, but the Bears are not the best team in that division, not probably even the second best team in that division. I mean, the Minnesota Vikings, I don't have a whole lot of faith in them. And maybe Russ Wilson, in fact, I'd be confident that Russ Wilson would help the Bears overtake the Vikings, but you're not overtaking the Packers, not in that division on a year in year out basis. So I don't get the want to go there. I don't get the want to go to Vegas. I mean, is Vegas an amazing city? Absolutely. But to be in Patrick Mahomes' division? No, that doesn't do it for me. New Orleans, I think would be amazing. Tom Brady is not going to be a Buccaneer forever. Brady you know, he could say he wants to play till he's 45, till he's 50 now he's saying. Maybe Tom Brady has two more years left, but eventually he'll be gone. And if Russ Wilson is with the Saints, it'll be the Saints division in at most a full season from now. So I understand wanting to go to New Orleans, Miami. If, again, that was the fourth team, if I'm correct about that, hell yeah, go to Miami. I mean, Miami is another team that I think is an elite quarterback away. You know, Tua's got potential. Tua was the top five draft pick. To me, is not the guy. And that brings us full circle back to the Houston Texans and to Deshaun Watson, who I think would be an extraordinary fit in Miami. I think that Deshaun Watson, when the time comes, not if, but when the time comes, because he will never suit up for the Houston Texans, whether they trade him or not, he will make their lives hell and he will not play a down for them. When the time comes that he's traded, people have tossed around the Jets. People have tossed around Chicago. I think the Miami Dolphins are the ideal spot for Deshaun Watson. And to me, it's this simple, you know? Houston can't get greedy, right? Houston has no leverage. So you're seeing reports that if they do a deal with the Jets, they're gonna want three firsts plus Sam Darnold and Quinn and Williams. Or just today, Texans Wire are releasing that if they do a deal with the Dolphins, they're gonna want three firsts plus Tua and Xavier Howard, one of the best cornerbacks in the game. I'm sorry, Houston doesn't have the leverage That's not going to happen. They're not going to get what they want for Deshaun Watson. But I think what they could get, what they should get and should accept is Tua Tagovailoa, the third pick in this year's draft, and the 18th pick in this year's draft. Or Tua, the third pick, and then Miami's first round pick next year in 2022, which will be in the 20s. So pick your poison. Do you want that first round pick next year that's going to be in the 20s? Or do you want two first-rounders this year, and then nothing next year. Because the Texans simply have no leverage. I don't think they're going to be able to get three firsts, plus Tua, who was a top-five pick a year ago. You're essentially getting, if that deal goes through, Tua, three, 18, you're getting two top-five picks plus the 18th pick in the draft. Be happy you get that. Be happy you get your new franchise quarterback. And start building around him. and Stop worrying about what else you can get. Because Deshaun Watson has the power. And rightfully so. Deshaun Watson has year in, year out, since he's joined the league, put his body on the line every single week for the Houston Texans. He's made bad teams mediocre. He's made mediocre teams good. I mean, this year there was nothing he could do. Four and 12 wins are not a quarterback stat. They're not. Anyone who thinks that they are is incredibly mistaken. You cannot blame a quarterback for the entirety of a team's misfortunes, nor can you reward a quarterback... For other aspects of a team's game, you know what? Look, Mitch Trubisky makes the playoffs, wins nine, 10 games. Is Mitch Trubisky one of the league's best 14 quarterbacks? Because if you're going by wins this year, the Bears made the playoffs. Therefore, Mitch Trubisky's a top 14 quarterback. No, he's not. He's not even close. He had a great defense. Same goes for Jared Goff. I mean, look, the argument can be made more so for Goff than it can Trubisky. The guy's been to a Super Bowl. The guy's won playoff games. But he's not even a top 14 quarterback, in my opinion. What he had was the number one defense in football. You know, was Ben Roethlisberger this season a top 14 quarterback? Now, look, if you're looking all time, yes, Big Ben all time top 14 quarterback. This year, was he? It's debatable. I'm going to lean towards saying no. But Pittsburgh, oh, they were 11-0. They were the best team in football the first 12 weeks of the season. Ultimately, they collapsed. It was an ugly collapse. It was a poor finish to the season. But hey, Big Ben's coming back. He'll be back, and the Pittsburgh Steelers will once again be disappointing. That's 2021 for you. Pittsburgh football fans, throw it in now. Will you get to the playoffs? You know what? I bet you do. Will you win a playoff game? No. No, you will not. Big Ben coming back, restructured his deal. Going to take a bit of a pay cut, down from 19 to 14 mil. But the Steelers still, they're losing Juju. The Pouncy retired. The defense is going to take some hits. I-, I have no faith in the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were 12-4 this year, and it was disappointing because they started 11-0. And they finished 1-4 and four down the stretch. Next year, they're going to wish they were 12-4 again. Best case scenario, 10-6. I could see him as a wild card team. But man, Ben Roethlisberger coming back. Look, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But in 2021, that doesn't do the Pittsburgh Steelers any favors. But again, if you're the Houston Texans, right? Back to Deshaun Watson, the quarterback carousel. We've already touched on Russ, Ben I mean, quarterbacks will be moved. Some already have Jared Goff, Matt Stafford, but Deshaun Watson needs to go to a team where he can win now because he's as deserving as anyone. You know, people want to villainize Deshaun, right? It's always the player who gets villainized in these situations. Deshaun Watson's done everything right. Did he sign a contract? Yes, he absolutely did. But you know what? The Houston Texans owe it to him and to the fans, the same fans that are mad that want to stick it to Deshaun. The Texans owe it to those fans to try to win every single season, especially when you have a franchise quarterback. Was the decision to trade DeAndre Hopkins to the Arizona Cardinals for a less than stellar running back and some mediocre draft picks, was that a decision made to win? Was the decision to let J.J. Watt walk a decision in the Houston Texans' best interest? No. And you can commend them for letting J.J. Watt go elsewhere, for releasing him and letting him search elsewhere, try to win a ring, do what's best for him. But that shows that they don't think that they're going to be winning anytime soon. The fact that J.J. Watt would have to leave to go ring chasing. So if he's got to leave to go do it, why should Deshaun have to stay and suffer when he's got no offensive line? No targets at wide receiver. They just cut David Johnson. Who the hell is going to be his running back? The defense was one of the worst defensive units in football this season. Can Deshaun win a game one on 11? Is that physically possible? I mean, we've seen great quarterbacks on bad teams. Matthew Stafford, who, by the way, is not as great a quarterback as Deshaun Watson, but is still, in my opinion, a Hall of Fame quarterback because wins are not a quarterback stat. We've seen Matt Stafford, when you don't have a defense, when you don't have blocking, when you don't have targets, it's pretty damn hard to win a game in the National Football League. So does Deshaun Watson deserve the heat for this trade? Absolutely not. Does he deserve to go to a team that has an interest in winning? Absolutely. And to me, that team... Look, the Jets want to win with Robert Salah. And they have the picks to offer. And they have the young quarterback to offer. The Bears want to win. They have the defense. They're just missing the quarterback. But to me, the best team for Deshaun Watson, the best coach is Brian Flores. The best team is the Miami Dolphins. And all of a sudden... The Buffalo Bills, who I love so much, who I can't wait to see what they accomplish in the coming years. If Deshaun Watson goes to Miami, the Buffalo Bills better watch out because their reign atop the AFC East, well, that could be shorter than intended. When we come back, more Deshaun talk. We'll dive into the New York Knicks, too. Fun for the first time in a decade. We'll get some spring training baseball in there. Jake Asman, host of The Jake Asman Show at Sports Map Radio in Houston, all set to join me on Serralo Sports Talk. Stick around, I'll be right back. <sighs>
1: Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe.
0: We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk and joining the show. You've heard him before. He's the host of the Jake Asman Show. Catch him weekdays 9 to 11 Eastern down at Sports Map Radio out of Houston. The one and only Jake Asman. Jake, thanks so much for joining the show.
1: Joe, always a pleasure to be on with you, my friend. I hope you're doing all right. I mean, every time I feel like I go on Instagram these days, who knows where Joe is, who he's partying with, you know, who, what famous person he's out to <laughs> dinner with. So uh, thanks for having me, man.
0: Hey, dude, it's great catching up. And yeah, you know, I've been called the modern day Carmen San Diego, you know, where in the world is he? And uh, back in New York, and back in my apartment, I see that you're in your apartment. And you just had some recent fame for your apartment in the middle of that. I don't know, was it a snowstorm? Or did you guys actually get snow? Or was it just really cold when Texas lost power down there?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like being being like a New York guy, like I guess for Texas, it's a snowstorm. It was only like three inches, though, in Houston, where I live, Max. And, you know, they just they were just the power company here just couldn't handle the cold weather that came with the snow. And, you know, 95 percent of the state lost power for a couple of days. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the viral clip of my apartment.
0: (laughs) It was under 40 degrees for most of the week,
1: which was just insane.
0: Amazing turning on the news here, the national news, good morning, America, and seeing Jake Asman go, my apartment is under 40 degrees. That was absolutely incredible. What was that like for you, knowing that your face was all over every major news outlet across the country?
1: I got a kick out of the Joe just because like I, I I have like a job where like you know you could go viral for things that like you're responsible for, like a big interview or like you know, a funny rant that trends on twitter or something right like things in the past that like i've been known for and then to be known now as like the guy whose apartment is under 40 degrees all because you know a 30 second video they play two seconds of it on all these networks uh i i got a kick out of the whole thing but you know if if that's what's gonna put me on the map so be it whatever i gotta do yeah
0: it's a little different i know you're more accustomed to going viral for talking to joe namath than you are talking about the temperature of your apartment by the way are you warm enough now in your apartment? Is it comfortable? What are, what are we looking at right now?
1: Yeah, no, the apartment's great today. It's uh, Right now in Houston, it is uh, 68 degrees. My apartment is actually the same temperature right now. I was going to put it up one more as you requested off air, but- ah, there you go. Uh, there you right go. now, we're still
0: sitting at 68. Nice, nice, almost nice. Look, <laughs> Jake, New York sports, I want to get to it. I know you're down in Houston, but you're a New Yorker at heart. Hopefully, you'll be back here soon. Don't tell your bosses I said that. But the New York mix- for the first time in almost a decade man they're actually fun to watch what's this season been like for you talking about a 500 team but still it's been uh, feels like they're in first place
1: yeah it's exciting cuz they they they're headed in the right direction right they finally have i believe a competent general manager obviously they have a competent head coach Tom Thibodeau right now you can make a case he's coach of the year for the job he's done with this Knicks team but they, they play basketball the right way. You know they're they're not the most talented team, but they got young guys that play their asses off. They got a nice mix of some veterans on the team, and just the player development like you're seeing it. Like Julius Randle's now an All Star. Emmanuel quickly might be the steal of the draft. R.J. Barrett's taken a big leap forward in his second year. So you know there's a lot of things to like about this team, and as a Knicks fan no one was asking for a championship. Like we just have a watchable team and the Knicks have been fun to watch. They're pretty much in every game. They're second in the NBA in defense They they kind of embody everything that you want as a, you know, that you, that you look for when you're a fan of a team. So it's been nice to actually have a team to watch that doesn't stink, that plays hard every night.
0: And by the way, this is a total Tom Thibodeau team. You mentioned their defensive rating second in the league. I mean, that's Tom Thibodeau basketball, just tough guys, grinding it out. Julius Randle, I mean, his emergence, this was a guy who coming into the season, a lot of people when he started off hot were like, nice, now maybe we can trade him, get some draft picks. What do you think about Randall now? Is he worth keeping and maybe making a part of this team's nucleus?
1: I, I think he is. I don't think you could trade him. I think it sends the wrong message to the rest of the team. Like, yeah. go go to the playoffs this year. Why not? The East is weak. The Knicks play hard every night. And when there's a lot of teams that you know show up in some of these games half asleep, the Knicks take advantage and can beat some some quality teams, right? I mean, if you play defense in the NBA. You know, you can win a you could, you can win a lot of nights. You could steal some games. I think if you play defense this year, where there's a lot of teams that had short off seasons because of the bubble, where there's a lot of arenas that are empty and you kind of lack that energy, Thibodeau holds the Knicks accountable. They 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 won't have a prolonged losing streak because they, they just they play too hard for that to happen. So you know, I don't think you could trade Randall. I think you keep him and you you try and get the most you know out of this team as you can. You keep building this core let all these young guys get that playoff experience and you know you look at the Randall contract he signed for another year at a very affordable rate relative to his production now you keep that guy you add on to everything that he's done to help this team and, and you really have something here going forward.
0: Jake I'm with you a thousand percent especially you know we've seen in recent years obviously two summers ago the huge free agent class but since then not a lot's out there so you got a guy like Randall keep him build around him. What do you think about Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly? These two rookies quickly, like you said, the steal of the draft. What about Toppin though?
1: Toppin, I think is still a work in progress. I I think it's way too early to be like, oh, he's, he's not, he's not going to be any good. He's a bust. We should trade him now. If anything, you don't trade that guy. Now his value has never been lower. So that wouldn't make any sense. But I, I think he's coming along. He's shown flashes. We've seen his athleticism on full display. I'm looking forward to watching you know, the dunk contest over the weekend with Ob being in it. We'll see what he could do. But quickly has been great. I mean, I, you know, the, the one knock maybe you could have on Thibodeau is that he doesn't play quickly enough. We want him out there. We want him starting, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, it's been nice to see his development. I, I think the fact that the Knicks have Kenny Payne, the former Kentucky assistant coach, on Thibodeau's staff, I mean, that, that helps you get a guy – like Emmanuel Quickly, who a lot of people thought was going to slip to the second round. The Knicks used a late first round pick on him. CBS Sports said that was like a D plus pick. And, you know, Emmanuel Quickly has been great. So I, I just feel like the Knicks have a, a really good grasp of the type of players they want. It seems like they have the right staff in place. And, and Quickly is, you know, benefiting from being in a really good situation. And he deserves credit for coming in and playing as well as he has.
0: You know, it's amazing to me. CBS Sports and a lot of other outlets graded that pick so poorly. But if you watch the draft, if you watch John Calipari that night, the way he raved about Emmanuel quickly, it sounded like he was higher on quickly than any other Kentucky Wildcat that got drafted. And watching Calipari, that's the reaction I want. That's the guy who I trust. And the way he sold quickly that night, so far, Emmanuel's lived up to the billing.
1: No doubt. And Leon Rose has a great relationship with John Calipari from his agent days, where he represented a lot of Calipari's, you know, players. You have Kenny Payne on the Knicks stab. So you're right, Joe. That that probably doesn't get talked enough about. Calipari, I remember on that ESPN interview he did, he was all in on Emmanuel quickly. I remember watching it being like, I hope he's right. He said the same thing about Kevin Knox. How's that working <laughs> out, right? So, uh, so far, so good, though, with quickly. And, you know, that's the thing with the Knicks. Keep adding on to this core. Let these guys play, develop, get better. And you follow what the Nets did, right? You put the core in place, and then stars want to come sign with you. Then stars are going to force themselves. To New York. The garden can be the ultimate tiebreaker between the Knicks and another team, but you got to have the foundation first so someone's going to want to join. And then everything about New York and MSG will sell itself. So.
0: Absolutely. Look, I mean, I know you hope we get back to those days. I certainly do too. You mentioned the Nets and you're in Houston right now. You spend a lot of time at Rockets games and, well, in a pre COVID world, going to Rockets games right. and covering that team and covering James Harden. Is he the MVP this year? it'd be tough for me to give him the MVP because of the fact that he basically tanked the first four or five
1: games with the Rockets. So I think that like disqualifies him from winning the MVP. It's like, you know, uh, Pete Rose can't ever get in the hall of fame because baseball like, took, you know, didn't allow it. I feel like the, the NBA can't allow James Harden to win the MVP award, but I actually talked about this on my radio show this morning. You can make a compelling case that Harden as, uh, as a net is the MVP of the league. I don't think he'll win the award but he's been great and you know the one thing i think harden does not get enough credit for is that he never misses games all these superstars load management injuries james harden say whatever you want about the guy oh he hasn't won a championship oh he he's you know he's dribble dribble shoot oh he's at the strip club and partying the guy never misses games he's always playing he's the most durable superstar in the nba and you can knock him for a lot of things. The one thing he deserves credit for is that he is always available. And when, you, when you're when you on a Nets team that has KD missing time, Kyrie missed time, he can go AWOL at any minute, as we've already seen. Yeah, I and mean, in New York, too.
0: That's the place to do it.
1: Right. Harden being available has been, you know, the, the the biggest reason why the Nets are now 11 games over 500 at the All-Star break.
0: Yeah, and look, we're going to get into, you know, the Mets and the Yankees and spring training, but you think about an old Met, right? Matt Harvey a guy who is notorious for on a couple occasions going out, not making it to the facility the next day, not showing up at City Field. I mean, James Harden, if you look at his career, there is a really good chart that shows in cities with better strip clubs, James Harden actually performs worse. You know, he loves to go out, loves to party. That's his thing. But he's in New York. Now, I know that there are regulations with COVID right now, but still New York's got some of the best clubs in the world, strip clubs, normal clubs, you name it. I mean, it's New York City, and he's playing the best ball of his career.
1: He's been great. And I, I think the biggest key for the Nets going forward is just getting those three guys on the court together. You know, the, they've only played seven games combined, as crazy as that is. So Katie's got to get healthy. I am concerned because they did say it was only going to be a couple games. You know, and here we are. He's missing an, you know another eight to ten games, whatever it's going to end up being after the All-Star break. And, and you just worry about Kyrie, where he's at always. But, you know, they're loaded. They're a great team. And I, I expect that they'll get better when we get closer to either the trade deadline or when some of these like higher profile guys get bought out of their current contracts and can sign with contenders, I think the Nets would probably be one of the most attractive teams that a prominent player that got released or is available would want to go to.
0: And and before we switch sports and switch gears here, are the Nets right now favorites in the NBA to win the title? I mean, they're playing the best basketball of nine and one in the last 10, but are they right now ahead of the jazz ahead of the Lakers ahead of the Sixers?
1: I would put them ahead of the Jazz. I would probably put them ahead of the Sixers, although I really like what we've seen from Philly this year. And, you know, what's interesting real quick about the East is, oh, the Bucks have to prove it. Oh, the Sixers have to prove it. Oh, the Nets have to – someone's going to actually prove it this year. You know what I mean? Like there's too many teams where, you know, there's all these question marks. So someone's actually going to be able to answer the bell there. So I, I think they're the favorites in the East right now, assuming those three guys – are healthy. That being said, I love what the Sixers have done with the spacing, with Doc Rivers coaching that team. I think Daryl Morey, in the few moves he's made since he came over to Philadelphia, has done a good job. But I still would say the Lakers are the favorites to repeat, as long as AD is healthy. Of course, he's not healthy right now, and you never know with an Achilles what that could look like. But if we go under the assumption that he's back 100% or close to it for the playoffs, I still think the Lakers are the favorites to win the whole thing.
0: Has LeBron lost his chances at winning an MVP, though, based on the fact that without AD, the Lakers have actually been under 500?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's going to hurt him. I do, because now, you know, you look at that losing streak, that will be a part of the conversation. And, you know, LeBron went from, I'm never going to sit. He sat out against Sacramento last night, and that was like, like kind of like, oh, by the way, LeBron's not playing. Like, yeah, wait a last second. Last minute. I <laughs> a week ago that was like, uh, I, I don't need to sit. I'm LeBron. Ugh. So, like, I, I, don't, I, I don't really know. What's going on there? I think that might hurt LeBron's MVP chances. So honestly, we just mentioned Joel Embiid and the Sixers. There's a real path where if the Sixers finishes like the one seed in the East, it's probably Embiid's award to lose at this point.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely could be. Again, look, it depends how much people will take into account what Harden did in Houston, as opposed to what he's doing in Brooklyn. You know, you obviously aren't sold on Harden winning the award. I've heard people make the argument for him because right now the Nets are on a tear and they don't even have KD. I want to flip over to football. You spend a lot of time around the Houston Texans, and they are right now the biggest shit show in the NFL. Are they?
1: Have they been in the news?
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't know where to start. J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson. Let's start at the quarterback position, because Deshaun is still a Texan, and the team is still insisting they want to keep him. He's going to stick around. Deshaun is making it clear he's getting the hell out. When and where do you see this Deshaun Watson saga ending?
1: There are two ways this could go, because I get asked this a lot. It's either the Texans are stubborn and they just refuse to trade them. They don't care about the backlash they're gonna get. They don't care about the issues it might cause in the locker room, how big of a distraction it will be. They are set in their ways, they won't trade them. They'll go two and fourteen next year and trade them then after they get the first overall pick. That's one way they could do it. That's their stance right now. The other way they could do it is Nick Casario, the you know, the adult in the room, so to speak can go to Cal McNair and Jack Easterby and say, look, I inherited this mess. This quarterback does not want to be here. If we're going to trade him, we need to do it now because his value has never been higher. We got two teams picking back-to-back, second overall and third overall, that both want him. We can get them to bid against uh, one another for his services. Let's strike when the iron's hot, hit the reset button, and sell our fans on a total rebuild and making sure we have a great roster for long, sustained success yada, 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 a bunch of BS. That's how I think they should do it. I'm torn on whether or not they're going to go that route or they're going to go the first route where they're just so stubborn and incompetent that they keep Watson. And if they keep Watson, they better not trade him by like the deadline next year. No, his values diminished at that point. If you keep Deshaun Watson, Houston, you can't trade this guy until the following off season. There's no way you could do it in season because then you don't know where the picks are that you're acquiring. That's why if you're trading the Sean Watson, the deadline to do it is when I would probably say the Jets are on the clock, April April 29th.
0: Yeah, I tend to completely agree with you. I mean, even if they wait and do it the following offseason, they're not going to get what they would get this offseason because that'll be a full year of him not playing, not getting reps in, and it might turn some teams off. So I think- What teams kind of will have
1: you. the quarterbacks too, right? We're talking about yeah. maybe five quarterbacks going in the first round this year. Like it, the market you trade the guy, is right now if you're going to do it, or between now and when the draft happens, essentially.
0: So as a Jet fan, obviously I'd say it's safe to assume you want him, but where do you see him ending up most realistically? Because I think Miami is the best spot.
1: Well, I think Miami is a great spot if he wants to win. I just, I don't know. I'm not fully convinced the Dolphins are going to be all in to get him, though. I don't know. I just, I feel like some of the things they've said and the fact they brought in Tua's uh, Elite 11 coach as the new quarterback coach, I feel like they might stick with Tua and just continue to build and, and you know not give up on a guy after just a couple starts his rookie year where he did have a winning record. So it, let, let's say the Dolphins are in. The Dolphins are definitely better than the Jets, but the Jets have more to offer in a potential deal because the second overall pick, no matter what the Dolphins offer, is going to outdo anything they throw in. And then you factor in the other picks the Jets have, right? The four total first round picks over the next two years, the nine total picks in the first three rounds over the next two years, 19 total picks over the next two drafts. They have the draft capital. They want Sam Darnold. You could throw him in. What I think would happen is they would then trade Darnold and recoup some of the picks they gave up for Deshaun Watson. But I, I just think if the Jets want to be all in, they could get them. Now, does all in mean you should trade four ones in Quinn and Williams? I wouldn't do it. But I think the Jets would probably be willing to go three ones, a two, you know, a three. Like, I, I think you'd do it if you could make that happen, because you're you're solving your quarterback issue once and for all. And adding Deshaun Watson isn't about just, oh, we have him on our team in 2021, we're winning the Super Bowl. No, it's about giving yourself a chance for the next 12 years to always contend. Like, you're not going to have sustained success in the NFL if you don't have an elite quarterback. And, yeah, you, you need to draft well with your other picks. You need to spend the $80 million in cap space and, and put a better team around Deshaun. But he solves so many of their issues. And as a Jet fan, I just want to see a quarterback actually be good on my team year after year. I've never seen it. So I I want to, Sean, I think there's a limit. But I think the Jets are in the driver's seat if they're willing to, you know, really go all in and try and make it work with the Texans.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Jets have, what, the second longest drought in the NFL for a 4,000-yard passer? The Bears have never had one. And then I think it's the Jets right after that. Name it. it.
1: And he was the first to ever do it in the history of the NFL, and no one's done it for the Jets since. Which is
0: absolutely wild.
1: And it's just it's just so Jets. So, you know, there's definitely a limit. You know, I don't know that Joe Douglas will get crazy, or he might really like Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. Who knows? But I, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, if the Jets are willing to include the second overall pick, I feel like the Texans would want to go out of their way to make the trade with the Jets. As long as Deshaun would waive the no trade, And I believe he would, because I think he just wants to leave Houston. He'd go to New York. I think he'd love it for his brand. I think he loves Salah. I think it'd be very exciting. As long as he's willing to do that, I still think it all kind of comes back to the Jets because the Texans can then go, all right, well, we have the second overall pick. How do, we, how do we turn that into even more assets? Oh, we trade down and we still end up with, let's say, Trey Lance or something. Carolina comes up from eight to two to get a quarterback. Or, you know, one of these other teams wants to move up uh, to get that second overall pick. You could sell the Texan fan on, hey, I know it sucks we lost to Sean, but look at all the first-round picks we now have over the next one, two, three. Like, who knows how many picks you're talking about after they trade to Sean and then do a trade down from two or three, depending on which team they deal them to.
0: Yeah, no, it it could be the ultimate win-win, which let's face it, it doesn't happen too often in sports. I mean, you look at the Stafford golf deal, you know, I don't see that as much of a win for Detroit. I think for the Rams, it's a huge win. This one could actually benefit both franchises because Deshaun, you know, even though his talent, it'll be tough to duplicate that, he just doesn't want to be there anymore. What good is that for Houston
1: like, what's going to win if you hold on to him is what I would always tell people. They're like, oh, just stick it to him. It's like, okay, so you're just delaying eventually having to trade him? Like, yeah. Deshaun doesn't care about the money. And guess what? If he did show up, his agent's David Mulligetta, the same guy that were at Jalen Ramsey. Deshaun's going to show up and be like, my back hurts, can't play. And then what do you do? You know, there's no way to determine if a guy's faking a back injury or not. So I, I just think they have to trade him. And if I'm Nick Casario, I'm calling up every team. I'm saying, make your best offer.
0: Let's go. I'm with you 100%. If the Jets aren't able to land him, what do you want to see done with that two pick? You mentioned trading down, you know, a guy like Trey Lance, I'm not necessarily sold. Zach Wilson fever is taking over right now. What no. do you want to do with that two pick? I personally think Sam Darnold might be worth keeping if you can just build around him.
1: I, I am the biggest Sam Darnold fan out there. I guess at least I was, because I say all that to say, I just think it's too big of a risk to keep Sam, but they were not picking second overall. I would say you run it back with Sam, get him some help, but they were awful this past year. You're probably not gonna be two and fourteen next year, even if you stick with Sam and he's bad. Like it is really hard in the NFL to have the year the Jets just did. Two and fourteen usually gets you the first overall pick. Jacksonville just had to be historically awful and win one game, but I, I don't feel like revisiting that because it's exhausting thinking about what happened there. Like you're not going to be bad enough to be picking this high. Like when the jets got Darnold, they had to trade up from six to three and give up three second rounders to get them. So if you evaluate these quarterbacks, Joe and Joe Douglas looks at it and goes, yeah, we, we think Sam could still be pretty good. We look at Zach Wilson. We look at Justin Fields. We think they're franchise guys. The tiebreaker has to be, well, one's on a rookie deal and one's going into his fourth year. And then you got to pick up his fifth year option for 19 million now. So I think the tie would go to the rookie basically. So the only scenario I see Darnold back is if they evaluate these quarterbacks and think Sam is significantly better. Cause let's say you run it back with Sam. Oh, trade down, get all these picks. The picks don't mean anything. If Darnold's not, not, not just like good, he needs to be great. He needs to be a top 10 quarterback. Because like, if you're going to stick with him, it's not about just, Oh, he's a little better now that he has Allen Robinson and better offensive linemen. He's got, to, he's got to prove that you can win games with him. Like, you can win playoff games with him. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Otherwise, you're the Bears. You're the Vikings. Uh, you're you're these teams that have, you know, a solid quarterback, but no one that's going to be able to get you over the top. Like, the Raiders are stuck with Derek Carr. The Vikings are stuck with Kirk Cousins. The Bears have been in quarterback purgatory forever. Like, you, you ha- if you're going to stick with Darnold, then you have to be convinced he's still going to be great. Not like above average, great. And I just doubt – Joe Douglas, who's been here now for two years and has seen Sam up close, thinks that Sam is capable of being great. So I think they trade him. And I think that if they don't get Deshaun Watson, they're taking someone with that second overall pick that's either a quarter, you know, either Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, Trey Lance maybe, Matt Jones. I don't know. It seems like everyone loves Wilson, though, as he's like the new like, flavor of the month. Yeah. A little worried about like the Mormon Mahomes stuff I hear. But if he's good... Great. I, I will root like hell for him, but it pains me that the Jets have failed Darnold where three years in, there's still this great debate on what he is.
0: It's too bad. I mean,
1: there. I just have very passionate about jet quarterbacking.
0: No, I love it. I love it. I mean, unfortunately, he's a guy who I really just think that, you know, he would need to go to a system like San Francisco to really experience the resurgence he's capable of. I mean, Salah obviously is bringing some of San Francisco over to this Jets offense and this Jets culture. But I just don't know if the damage is done for Darnold in a green jersey. You know, it could be as simple as his morales just shook and he needs to change the scenery.
1: I bet you he goes on and, and has a good career. Like mm-hmm. if Sam Darnold turns out to be Ryan Tannehill, I wouldn't be surprised. But the issue with that is, are you ever winning a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill? No. Like he's good. He's a nice player. But like, is anyone going to pick the Titans to win the Super Bowl next year? Other than Titans fans? Like, yeah, no. no,
0: absolutely not. So
1: it's like, you could stick with Sam, and everyone loves the idea of stick with Sam, get all the draft picks. If your quarterback is not good enough to win you a championship, I don't care what your roster is. Like, the Bucks were a good team. They added Brady, they won. Like, go look at the quarterbacks that win Super Bowls. They're all elite. Like, you have to get that guy. And I, I would just be shocked if the Jets think, Darnold going into his fourth year is now going to become this top 10 quarterback.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. You know, I was watching earlier today. uh, Good morning, football. I know we both love that show. Um, Quinn and Williams was on. And the thought of him being involved in a a potential trade package for Deshaun Watson, to me, as a Jet fan or as a Jet executive in that role, I'm immediately nixing it. Would you give up anything more than picks and Darnold? Would you put Williams in that or no?
1: I, I, well, if I'm putting Williams in that deal, I'm not attaching him with a bunch of other first-round picks. Like, if you put Quentin Williams in that deal, you're getting the former third overall pick in the draft two years ago. Right? Like, the Texans also are not going to be able to ask for as much as everyone thinks they can because, like, there's a limit. Like, like teams are not going to be dumb here. And, like, the Jets' picks are more valuable than anything the Bears give you or anything the Panthers give you. Like, the Jets are starting off by offering you the second overall pick – that's like double what the eighth pick is. So, like, I don't think it will take three ones in Quinnen Williams. It might take three ones in some mid-round picks, but if I don't have to trade Quinnen, great, I wouldn't do it either. I would keep him. And the fact that he wants to be a Jet, finally someone wants to be a Jet. Don't trade that guy. Keep him. He's, he's proved me wrong. I thought he had an underwhelming rookie year. He shut me up with this past year, one of the few bright spots on that team. I'd love for him to unblock me on Twitter, Joe. But, you know, if you <laughs> whoa, can tell whoa, him that I thought that he happened? had a great year, please do. How
0: did that happen?
1: He, I, I tweeted a video, which really funny is I criticized him over the summer, or I didn't criticize him. He said, oh, I'm going to be a beast this year and talked about off like offseason program. And I'm like, guys always say this, you're the third overall pick. Like, I hope you're right, Quinn. And like, you need to have a breakout year because you were underwhelming as a rookie. I posted the segment or the clip of it on my Twitter account. I didn't even tag him. I just wrote Quinn Williams. And I guess he searched out his own name because he found it. Next thing I knew, the next time I tried to find his profile, I was
0: blocked. Amazing. Well, You've been blocked by a few people, haven't you? LeBron,
1: uh, (laughs) Major League Baseball.
0: You're blocked by the MLB account. I am, yeah. What the I hell am. did you do for that one, Jake?
1: That one I don't know, and I don't know when that happened because I just noticed it somewhat recently. So that's the latest one. I got some others for you. Richard Sherman has blocked me. Now, the irony with Sherman is there's some rumors Solomon might bring him over from San Fran with him, and if he signs with the Jets, I, I I would love to be unblocked because I'll root like hell for the guy. But the reason why Sherman has me blocked in the first place is because – Yeah, when the Revis-Sherman debate was going on, I I tweeted that Revis was better. He
0: blocked me. Amazing. Some of these guys are soft, man. It's wild. They don't want to see it. They can't take the heat. Yeah, I don't think I'm blocked by any athletes yet. A couple X's, but I think that's about it.
1: Yeah. Now, the X's is understandable knowing you.
0: That's about par for the course. Yeah. (laughs) Jake, before we wrap it up, I want to talk a little baseball. Spring training has sprung. The Yankees and Mets, ESPN just released an article that says that They are two top five teams in terms of pressure on them to win a World Series this year. Yankees first, Mets fifth. What do you think about the state of New York baseball right now? Is there a chance we could get a Subway Series World Series?
1: I think it's possible. I think the Mets have a more difficult path to get there than the Yankees do because the American League, I believe, as a whole got worse, and the National League still has, you know, the Dodgers in it and the Padres look like they're going to be right there. So I think the Mets have a chance. They're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I think the Yankees, if they get some luck with the injuries, can finally be this great team and perform in the playoffs, depending on you know how Kluber comes back from his injuries, Tyone, Severino, what's Herman coming off the suspension. So they have talent in the rotation. They obviously have Cole, but there's a lot of question marks there. If they hit on, let's say, three of those guys, They're going to be damn good with that lineup and and that bullpen. So I'm very excited about the Yankees, but I agree with that list. I don't think there's a team in Major League Baseball that has more pressure to win this year than the Yankees. 09 is a long time ago for a Yankee fan, and they've been knocking on that door, knocking on that door. Like 2017, feel-good story. Expectations, you had Stanton win the World Series. You lose to the Red Sox in the division round. 2019, oh, get to the World Series. Well, you run into the Astros, you get beat by them in the uh, championship series. Last year, you lose to the Rays in a brutal five-game series. Like, okay, like, when's this core going to break through? Like, at least get to the World Series. If they lose to the Dodgers, we'll see how it goes. The Dodgers, I think, on paper are better than the Yankees right now. So if they get there and lose, we'll evaluate it then. But I think anything short of at least getting to the World Series when you look at the AL East getting worse with Morton and Snell leaving the Rays, the Red Sox stink. The Astros don't have Verlander or Springer now. Like there are a lot of question marks in the American league and the Yankees are one of the more sure things. So anything Joe short of going to the world series as a Yankee fan, I'd be right hot. I think this is the year they got to break through.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I really wish I was privileged enough to say anything shy of going to the world series is a bust, but I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, this is the only
1: team I can have high expectations about.
0: There you go. I mean, who, who's your biggest threat right now? Like the Chicago white Sox? is that, yeah. you know,
1: and and they're probably a year away. Like, Oh, people are like, Oh, look at the blue Jays. Yeah. The blue Jays have a very good lineup. Their opening day starters is Hinjin Ryu.
0: Yeah. I'm like, not sold.
1: They don't have, they don't have enough pitching, you know? So like they're good. The rays always seem to just figure it out, but there's no way you could argue. They're better than they were this past year without Morton and Snell Like, I'm sure Chris Archer will be amazing for them. But, like, you can't bank on that. Like, right now on paper, there's a reason why Vegas has the Yankees as the second highest odds to win a title. To me, they're clearly the second best team in baseball right now.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. And then if you look at the Mets, you know, you mentioned the Dodgers and Padres, which right there, you could have the two best teams in baseball at the end of the season, both in the same division. And then in the NL East, I mean, right now the Mets are favored and I certainly think that they're going to win the division. I'm high as hell on this season, like I am every year. And, you know, sometimes we win 90 games, sometimes we win 70. I don't know, maybe it's just the fan in me. But the Atlanta Braves, it seems that people are counting them out and it's always the Mets or the Phillies or the Nationals projected to win the division. And the Atlanta Braves just always seem to be there, especially in the past. Four years or so. So the Braves make it tough. The only thing I will say, I think the Central's weak. I don't think Arenado makes the Cardinals this powerhouse just by his addition alone.
1: The Central's awful. I mean, it's yeah. like no one besides the Cardinals, I guess, are actually trying to, to win that division. What hurts the Mets is the lack of an expanded playoff for them. Like you look at the National League, the Padres and the Dodgers, one of those teams is winning the National League West. The other one's probably winning one of the wild card spots. So if you don't win your division, if you're the Mets, you're talking about one wild card spot available for you to get that's not easy like the we like the Mets are good but so are the Braves so are the Nationals I think the Phillies got better like the division's really good and oh by the way we all laugh but the Marlins were a playoff team last year right they won a playoff round so I think the National League East is the best division in baseball
0: yeah it's definitely the deepest and you know you mentioned Philly getting better you know Washington a lot of people wanted to count them out they had a Josh Bell who's an absolute stud, you know? I mean, the Nationals, they got better as well. They, they added Schwarber too. John Lester. What they can do? Yeah, yeah, John Lester in the rotation. I mean, he's a guy, if he bounces back, he's your number four. That would be incredible. So I'm excited for baseball season, man. I'm really hoping we get that Mets-Yankees World Series. And I'm really glad that your apartment's back over 40 degrees. <laughs> it is uh,
1: well over the 40-degree threshold. The sun is shining and you would have no idea that, you know, less than two weeks ago, this place was covered in snow and somehow in the single digits. It felt like I was back in, you know, Ithaca, New York, where I went to college. It was just crazy.
0: Shout out to the Bombers. Jake Asman, catch him weekdays, 9 to 11 Eastern on SportsMap Radio, host of the Jake Asman Show. Jake, this was a blast. Thanks so much, man.
1: Joe, thanks for having me, man. Always fun to be on with you. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk.
0: It is time for my final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. What a spot right there. Jake Asman never disappoints, loves his New York sports rants. You know, it must be tough to a degree. Obviously, Jake and I went to high school together. I followed in his footsteps at our high school radio station. He's, he was a senior. I was a freshman. And even though he's got a national show, and the amazing thing about national radio, national TV, is you talk about whatever's hot, whatever market it is. And I love that. And that's why I treat my podcast the way I do. Talk about whatever the hell I want, no matter what city it's in, because I like the hot stories. You know, if New York's dead, I don't want to try to make news in New York when the news is in Arizona or Houston. But for Jake, who's down in Houston right now, to be able to talk about excitement surrounding New York sports for the first time in in a while. I mean, you know, he mentioned it. The Yankees have had playoff runs, but they haven't been able to win or even get to a World Series since 2009. Hell, the Mets have been to a World Series more recently than that, but they haven't been able to win it. So for some excitement, finally, the Knicks' first time in a decade surrounding New York sports, it's definitely fun and to be able to connect with Jake and talk about that is always a blast. Look, I'm going to take my final word this week to talk about a school, a team, a conference that is very close to my heart, and that is the St. Bonaventure Bonnies. Because the Atlantic 10 tournament is in full swing, and the Bonnies tip off today... Look, I, I mean, this episode drops at midnight, so technically it'll be Friday when you're hearing this, and if you catch it early enough, the Bonnies tip off 11 a.m. Eastern on NBC Sports against the Duquesne Dukes, and I can't wait. Look, St. Bonaventure, and for the first time in a long time, I think as a Bonnies fan, I can say this confidently, they're a lock for the NCAA tournament if they just win this one game. You win this quarterfinal matchup against Duquesne, you're in. Now, it would help a lot to win Saturday and then be in the A-10 tournament next Sunday on Selection Sunday, because if the Bonnies are playing on Selection Sunday with their resume and with added wins, which would be against Duquesne and then the winner of St. Louis UMass, St. Louis would be a great revenge game too. They're a bubble team as well. If the Bonnies are playing Selection Sunday, the selection committee does not like to make last minute alterations that they can avoid. Right, we've seen it in recent years. We've seen it where the winner of the SEC title game has a similar resume to the team they beat, yet they're a lower seed, like a four compared to a three. We've seen the same thing with the Big Ten champion. In fact, not too long ago, I want to say it was maybe a Purdue, Michigan State matchup. I, I might have the teams mixed up, but the team that won the Big Ten tournament was a five seed, the team that lost it was a three, and their resumes were almost identical. Right? The selection committee. If they know that a team going into Selection Sunday is going to make the tournament or is a bubble team, they're going to do everything they can to make the bracket before the last minute. So if the Bonnies are playing that Sunday, I'll tell you right now, win or lose in the title game, as long as they make it there, they're going to be a 10 seed. And that's a guarantee. I hope we get to that position and I hope things pan out that way. But I promise you, if the Bonnies just win today at 11 against Duquesne, if they win tomorrow against UMass St. Louis, they're a 10 seed. I bet you if they win today, even if they got bounced tomorrow, they're an 11 seed. They're a tournament team. And it's amazing. It's electric. It is so much fun when there's great basketball being played up in Ole and up at the Riley Center. I mean, this starting five is absolutely incredible. I honestly don't think that there's a starting five in this country that the Bonnies can't match up against. Now, what, you know, will get them bounced, what will eventually hurt them is their lack of depth. They play six guys, seven if they get into foul trouble, but it's a six-man rotation on a, on a normal night, and they don't have depth in the front court, right? The the sixth guy that they play is A.J. Vasquez, who is a good enough two-guard. Hell, he dropped 18 against George Washington when everyone was getting in on that action. The three-point parade against the Colonials in that 88-41 win Uh, a little less than a week ago, or I guess now if it's Friday, a week ago to date. So Vasquez is a serviceable enough scorer off the bench, but they, they don't have depth to compete with the powerhouses, with the blue bloods of college basketball. But if these guys stay on the court, they're starting five, if they play the 36 to 38 minutes that is expected of each and every one of them, and with the defense they play, if they can just get some three balls to fall, Three-point shooting has been the Bonnie's weakness this year. It's been very inconsistent. When it's on, they're unstoppable. When it's off, it's a struggle. But they're still winning games because of their defense. Man, this is a team that can make some noise opening weekend. This is a team that I really believe with five juniors starting could make it to the Sweet 16 this year. But it all starts in Richmond momentarily, 11 a.m. this Friday morning against the Duquesne Dukes, a team that normally wouldn't scare me. But on the rule of thirds, it is really hard to beat a team three times in one year. And that's the only thing that scares me about Duquesne. You know, I always like to bring up the 07 wildcard Super Bowl champion New York Giants who got beat down by the Cowboys in each of their meetings in the regular season and then beat Dallas in the playoffs en route to beating an undefeated New England team. Look at this year, Tom Brady being on the other side of that, getting embarrassed by the New Orleans Saints twice this regular season, beating them. In the divisional round of the NFC playoffs, winning the Super Bowl. I know it's a different sport, but in any sport, it's why sweeps are pretty much a rarity in Major League Baseball. Even when you have the best team playing the worst team in the league, you know, you you have the Cubs playing the Pirates, the Pirates, there's still a good chance they win one out of three in a weekend series. You know, the rule of thirds, it is really hard to beat a team three times in a row, three times in one season. And that's the one thing that scares me about Duquesne. But looking at that Richmond game today, look. Duquesne barely beat a Richmond team that was without Blake Francis, their leading scorer, that had Grant Golden suffer a broken middle finger early in that one, played the whole second half with a broken finger in his shooting hand. Uh, I mean, and Duquesne still barely won. They barely won the rebound battle. They're not going to beat the Bonnies in rebounding. I mean, the Bonnies are good for Oshun Shuni, Jalen Attaway. And usually one of their guards, whether it's Jaron Holmes or Dom Welch, the three of those guys alone can put up 24 rebounds any given night. So uh, I don't think Duquesne's going to have the front court win. They certainly don't have a better backcourt than we do, especially with Sincere Carey, who was an all-conference projected player transferring in the middle of the season. Uh, I mean, this is a team that, look, they could shock us. They beat us last year in overtime at the Riley Center on our own court. But this is a much different Bonnies team than it was a year ago when these guys were sophomores, when Jalen Attaway was sitting out, when Jaron Holmes was brand new to the program. It's a much different group of guys. And if the Bonnies win this one, we're going dancing. Look out, Indianapolis. Now, before this episode concludes, sticking to my alma mater, sticking to St. Bonaventure, on Monday morning, I believe overnight, the Bonnies lost our school president, Dr. Dennis DiPero, who was an absolutely incredible human being. And I was lucky enough to have a platform to speak about this Wednesday night on my weekly Bonnie's Basketball Talk Show on the Rock Sports Network with Brendan McDaniels, Mike Vaccaro, the incredible columnist from the New York Post joined us. And we opened the show paying tribute to Dr. DiPero. But Dennis DiPero, who at 62 is gone way too soon due to COVID complications, was an incredible man. He was an incredible leader. He was an incredible, selfless, caring human being who perfectly embodied the characteristics of not just what makes a fantastic school president, but what makes a Franciscan. And St. Bonaventure, being that it is a Catholic, more specifically Franciscan institution, needed a leader like Dr. Dennis DePero to walk through those doors back in 2017 when I was a sophomore. And they needed him... For a multitude of reasons, because he embodied the school's values. That's first and foremost, when you're a small school, when you're a a religious affiliated school, that's the most important thing you look for in a leader. But he was also an incredible innovator to St. Bonaventure, to the Western New York community that we're in. I mean, he was forward thinking, progressive, and I'm talking progressive in terms of just building up the brand of the school building up the athletics, building up the academics, expanding our majors, our programs, our schools. Uh, Dr. Depero was everything that St. Bonaventure needed when enrollment was slipping to get the numbers back up, to get student involvement back up. He was an incredible guy who wanted to attend St. Bonaventure out of high school, but due to his family's financial situation, couldn't and found St. Bonaventure at the perfect time. And he's going to leave some Bob sized shoes to fill for whoever the next school president is. It's, uh, it's a tragedy beyond words. And I just feel for his wife, Sherry, and his kids, one of whom I know is my age. And I can't imagine losing a dad right now at 22 years old. And my sympathies go out to his wife, his kids, the rest of his family, and the rest of the St. Bonaventure community because this is a monumental loss and we're all feeling it. Dr. DiPero was incredible.